Sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. I don't like you. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whatever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? I'm in my prime. First you want to kill me, now you want to kiss me. Blow. DJ Nubis. And DJ Neko. Back with you on the Bell Time Radio Podcast, The Hordes of Chaos, episode 169. We have a really entertainment-packed uh, episode this week. We're talking a lot about new shows and movies that we watched. I mean, we're, we have just been consuming entertainment recently, and I, I mean, I have only been home, what, two weeks, so it's it's really like... I think I feel like I'm catching up on stuff, and I'm I'm like enjoying sitting in my recliner watching something on TV, and it like if you can imagine living in a nine by like fifteen cabin 
including bathroom and bed and dresser and everything that's what I lived in so I didn't have a recliner I didn't really have like a lot of quote-unquote luxuries like we have at home and you know I have yet to take a bath and that's one thing I was bitching about the entire time I was gone I said oh, I gotta take a bath so I feel like you know we we've gone to the movies we've watched caught up on things we yeah, I went to see Maverick which we did a YouTube video for those that don't know we did a review of that so find DJ Anubis's YouTube channel um, it I think if you just search DJ Anubis you'll find it and you can watch our review on that it was nice to go out to the movies you know we don't I haven't been out to the movies since before I left clearly right. we have been just trying it's almost like we're being lazy but i don't care i mean well we just came off a long weekend for maryland death Fest, exactly so. like we totally i mean i don't know how much you want to talk about that uh yeah we talked a little bit about it. i mean obviously there were a few bands we got a chance to see no moss for the first time um which was amazing they kicked off i believe thursday or friday it was friday at soundstage yeah and that was just such a great show and a lot of people came out to support the band which was great uh you always want to see that especially when the early it was like 2 30 in the afternoon it was packed yeah it was so packed and there was just a lot of great bands uh hypocrisy was really great when we saw them on i think it was saturday or sunday uh probably sunday i think um Saturday was interesting because of the we, rainstorm. Maybe it was Friday. It was it? Saturday was the rainstorm and um I Just knew it might be a problem so I kept checking the Facebook schedule, yeah. I'm like, Oh my god because we were over so if you've never gone to Maryland Death Fest, if you've never been there, they they've changed it up. We've gone many years, since like two thousand eight, I think, or nine. Um two thousand nine. And they, every year, it's like they keep adding things and adding things. And this year is supposed to be, like, the ultimate Maryland Death Fest because of COVID. The last two years, they weren't able to have it. So they expanded. They had the Edison lot. They had soundstage. They had the outdoor power plant area. And they had Ramshead Live. So we're at Edison lot. And I knew it was supposed to storm that day and I didn't know when they'd like start shooing people away because outside electrical storm electrical equipment and we noticed that they made a big change to the lineup obituary was playing it at the Edison lot but because of the storm and obituary was is a headliner they moved it over to power plant which is covered and they can continue with the show so when I saw that DJ Anubis was was kind of like Okay, we have to get the shuttle and get back there immediately. Let's go. Let's yeah, because go, go, go. I wasn't sure, like... They were playing at 8, and it was already, like, 7 o'clock. Because that's what we were waiting around for, and you're like, well, they're moving it. And I'm like, oh, shit. And we were... What, what were we doing? Shopping or something? We were Yeah, we were just meandering around. And I, Well, we were in line, so, like, I was trying to get some shit. And I was like, well, after this, we got to run. And, like, you know, I had a friend, Jason, came up from Pennsylvania, and, you know... We had a lot of other friends we saw from across the way in the water and whatnot. Uh, but, like, you know, they're all like, yeah, we want to get together and do this. I'm like, well, we got to go. Because, like, I don't know where Jason was. but Or Daniel. We, we were messaging we're like, everybody. We're just like, meet us over there. Because, like, we're going to get on the shuttle bus as quick as we can. Everybody's going to meander from there. So this is the thing. 
It was okay. right when they announced it. So wow. they had just posted it, and it's it, five minutes ago. So we were trying to get over there so we could get in. But you have to understand, there's like a ton of people. Esalen's big, so it houses a, a, a lot of people. So now you're moving everything over to a smaller area, and like that crowd has to somehow get over there. Now the Maryland Death Fest crew were really gracious because they're like, listen, I know some of you only bought Edison Lot bracelets and, and you will be able to get in. But what they did was there is a street entrance for Edison Lot, or excuse me, for um, Power Plant, and they just kind of blocked it off waiting for people while they're in line to let them in. Well, because we know we know that area really well. We know where like the the secret entrance is, and it's you just kind of cut through the um, parking garage. We went in the back, and you can go directly into the power plant area, and it's basically like a big courtyard with lots of restaurants and stuff. But it also has an outdoor music area. Plus, Ramshead is a music venue, and um, they have like a pizza place. And we were actually sitting. I didn't realize it until I was there and had to go in and use the bathroom. We were using the out, sitting in the outdoor space, and it's an axe throwing. Um, yeah, I know I had one there. So it was it was really cool because we get there early and then we see all these people lining up. And our friend texted us and he said, <laughs> he's like, "Oh my God, there's a line that's going around the block." I was like, "Go in the back way," and I, I explained to him how to get through the back way. So he was like, "Oh my God!" And so we're sitting at this perfect bar, which. There was a little bit of a block, a net, yeah, like but, a netting, but we didn't care because we were under cover for the rain. Perfect view, perfect hearing, and we sat there and enjoyed drinks, and we had access to a bathroom, which was right there. It was That was like my favorite night, and I, I go back to this a lot because um, three or four years ago, they decided that they were going to cut out the Edison lot and we were really happy because we said yeah condense it all to downtown instead of walking over to the other lot that way you have you know it was easier and we really liked it but I think because they wanted to expand it they knew this would kind of be the last Maryland Death Fest they did and many many times um we have gone to like Edison lot is a parking lot <laughs> it Basically, all it it's is. It's all it is. Everything. Every metal parking lot. And we we did have fun. I can't say that we didn't, but we have to have fun the right way. We are fortunate because this year, even though it rained the one day, like it was pretty cloudy and overcast, so it wasn't like massively hot like we've had in past years. So while we did, you know, we are getting older, and it's tougher to kind of hang out for an entire day for stuff. Like I think her and I kind of agreed that like if you just cut this festival down to like two days would be perfect because that's about as much as we can last i mean we went all four days but it was always like later and later like i had plans to see certain bands and then like after a couple days i'm like yeah sunday the my biggest regret was not seeing nocturnus um but we were spent and we even took it easy we were (laughs) we were tailgating like at the car a lot which is right by the edison lot we took our own beer and snacks because this is my biggest complaint, and I don't know why they were so expensive, but they were more expensive than going to the actual bars in Power Plant. You and I and Jason. So we were all on the same ticket. 
Jason had two drinks, you had like two or three drinks, I had six drinks, and it was $117, including tip. At Power Plant, or excuse me, at Edison Lot, it was like $15 a beer yeah. and $20 for mixed drinks. And the food, <laughs> the hot dog, and God, that's right. lemonade I had was like about it was a ten dollar. Yeah, it was a ten, $10 lemonade, a hot dog that was $13, and I got a plate of loaded french fries, and it ended up being $70. I, I, yeah, so after massive. that, we were like, we're just packing and going to the parking lot. And that's what everybody usually does. It, it's unfortunate. And this is It's not us being penny pinchers. It's, and we want to support these vendors that are like, there was a guy there uh, serving ice cream. And like, he only did certain things. But, you know, he was like, you know, those are the kind of guys that have smaller, like, uh, companies, you know, as they drive around with their food trucks. So you want to support them. But the, the outrageous prices were really just crazy. Like, it just... The ice cream wasn't even that bad. It was the the actual food we were trying to eat that was like so obnoxious. And then like you know, I had a kid running your your uh, credit card machine, and like he's adding tips that he's not informing anybody about. Like, and that's what even works. Like I got we got hit with like a ten dollar tip, and you know we didn't authorize the tip at all. Like I would have thrown like three bucks, but it's like you're not even asking me what tip I want to give. You're just automatically taking that out, and that's not kosher. And we didn't even sign the thing. Like he's like, okay. And I'll keep have- in mind, there's tons of people buying from these guys. It's like they're making a lot of money, and I don't know how many people. Like you said, we got our money back or something on that. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I was taking a sip, guys. Um, so, everything at Edison Lot was kind of run on square. And yeah, they we, wouldn't take cash for food. That's the thing. So, I looked at um, I looked at the, the receipt after our friend, he said this. He's like, wait a minute. I ordered a hot dog, and they charged me for a cheesesteak. And they also put, a, like, 8% tip on top of it. So, we looked at our receipt. I'm like, I know it was going to be expensive, but they... They, the tip ended up being an extra $8, and I realized the sign said $10 for lemonade. They charged us $11 per lemonade. Yeah. So. I mean, so we were a little irritated with that vendor, and after that day, we just said, we're bringing our own drinks, bringing our own that snacks. That suffice just fine. And this is this is where I kind of, like, have my little, uh, I don't know, like, my soapbox speech. If it's more expensive, and and I know they did this because most people just purchased um, Edison lot tickets, but we could go downtown, and we had, let me, I forgot the math, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, we had eleven drinks, and it was $117, including tips, so you know that the drinks are, you know, like six to eight dollars a piece. You're charging $15 for a yinling. You know, not even a big yinling, like a regular can of yinling. Yeah. And they were doing it because they knew that there were people who only had that choice and they would buy it. And I get it. I, I get it that there is money that needs to happen. I get it. Trust me. However, I we after that first day, we said, no, we're not going to... We... We had pizza one day over at over at Power Plant. Like I don't know. I 
I don't want to sound negative because we overall had a good time and yeah the important thing is and we'll cut this kind of short is that for the last Maryland Death Fest we don't know if it's coming back in 2024 or not but for the last one there was a lot of great bands obviously some bands couldn't make it which is unfortunate but for the bands that we saw uh, they all play very well even Deicide we watched a little bit of that uh, doing the Legion set and all that stuff so I mean there's just a lot of good bands out there Carcass Obituary brought it um, you know it's just a lot of fun so and, and again for us some of it's just hanging with our friends that we haven't seen and that's and, the hardest part for us I'm sorry to cut you off we um it seems like unless you're literally staying with us and um like we're making literal plans it's it's hard to see because we have so many metal friends and so many metal like people we hang out with it's more like hey how you doing okay i'm gonna go see obituary or oh hey how you doing i'm going over to soundstage right now and then the music's loud and you're enjoying the music so you don't really get that together time like but me you and jason we hung out yeah. The entire watch movies, we, watched, we played trivia. Uh, Jason and I went to breakfast. I mean, that's the type of stuff that we really dig because we are older. Not gonna lie, because I'm an old fuck. But I really did enjoy spending time with Jason, and I, I just that's important. That's what was important to me. And we had other people who planned on staying with us, but they weren't able to come. So clearly, we're not going to cancel on Jason, but Jason lucked out because he got the he got the big bed yep. <laughs> with all the extra blankies and pillows, and we had a good time, and it was chill and simple, and you know we all just kind of agreed on what we wanted to see, and yeah, you know he was uh he was very easy on that, you know even but even when he said he wanted these certain bands, like he got tired too, like it just it happens, like these festivals because they made them grow and grow and grow, they've got so long that you've got. All, even pre-fest and it's like all oh, this other stuff going on it's like, so now yeah. it's five days yeah. instead of two yeah and, he, and then you kind of understand why these guys are probably having tr trouble like uh making money or keeping afloat this is what happens when you you know get too big for your own britches so to speak i also though somebody kind of made a post and i don't know how much it costs to bring these bands in and some of these smaller bands, they really don't charge a lot because they just want to be at Maryland Death Fest. Yeah, want to be exposed. And um, I don't know what it costs to set this up. I don't know the logistics. I don't know how many people are on staff that get paid. But somebody said with the amount of tickets that were sold, it was close to, I think, like a million dollars that they sold. Because even if they said if every single person had a four-day pass it would be almost a million dollars but you know that's not what happened but so let's just take half and then let it would end up being like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars and if every band charged like x amount that would still leave like a profit of whatever and then you have to think about like what it costs to do this that i i did see that the the owner of Maryland Death Fest, the two guys, they, they kind of posted that there was a lot of logistical challenges that they ran into um, that weren't really expected. And the reason that th this is going to be the last like festival that they're going to throw for a while, nothing is happening next year. They already said that they're not even thinking about it because 
I think the one thing he says, if it comes back in 2024, it's going to be on a smaller scale. So I don't know if that means it's going to be one or two days or just one. Because in the past, when they first started, it basically was one to two days. Like, that was it. Mm-hmm. And it was all at the same venue. Didn't have to run around. So Topless sooner. I, yeah, I'm assuming if they come back, it's going to scale back down to that. The thing is, I was explaining this to some of our friends, is... You know, one reason why it's difficult to get bands like Emperor to come here and play is not just because they're coming overseas, but some of these bands like Campbell Corpse and such, they charge a lot to play festivals. They will charge between ten to 30000 to play. Uh, how they manage to do it overseas, maybe it's just easier to travel, so maybe Emperor's a little bit like, okay, we'll take fifteen or whatever and come down there. Or whatever charge they use, but like that's some of the hoops that these guys have to go through because if the bands are too unreasonable with their price, then you're like, I can't do it. Uh, we we've been fortunate though to see a lot of bands come back and play. You know, Morbid Angel even with Vincent was at least they played most of their older material, mm-hmm. but it was fun to see that because you see these reunion shows and whatnot. So Prong playing. You know, a few years ago, uh, was a uh, uh, Cavalera this year. Yeah, that was your big thing. Playing, playing all supper horror stuff from Arise and Beneath the Remains, which was amazing. So, those are the kind of things that you go to see with this festival. So, it was a lot of fun. But we're gonna get into our first block of music. Tell us about it, DJ Anubis. I uh, got some uh, siphonism from Metalist PR, new alters from Everlasting Spew Records, but we're going to kick off a brand new Psychroptic. And this is a shirt oh, that I got. Uh, I, was gonna, I don't have it on. I, I wear it a lot. I do. I like the Psychroptic shirt a lot. And this is called Ashes of Our Empire.
Tavern Radio. Come get it. Good lip. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Alright, we are back. In black? Well, you are. I'm not well, sort of black. You're you're in black shorts, I'm in a black top. So we're combined. Black all black. black. <laughs> <laughs> so Disney Plus has released a new series, as they always do, and this one again is in the Star Wars universe. It's called Obi-Wan Kenobi. So I have I've watched all the movies, and I've been a Star Wars fan since I was born. Like, there's a picture of me in 1983. So, wait, you watched the last two Star Wars movies? Yeah. I the, didn't... The Last Jedi and all that? Mm -hmm. You did? When? Probably on the ship. Oh, my God. They were kind of... What, what's, like, milk toast? You know what I mean? Like, like something you watch in bed, oh. and not great... And I tried, but for me, all like growing up a Star Wars fan, like I was saying, I I have this picture of me. It's a fucking Polaroid at three years old, wearing a Return of the Jedi T-shirt. Like I've always been into Star Wars. I used to watch it when I was a kid. You know what else I used to watch a lot? Rathacon. But <laughs> excuse me. Um, I was excited for this because. I felt there were so many different ways you could go. This is happening after the first three, you know. Revenge of the Sith. It follows ten years after that. Yeah, the Re Re Revenge of the Sith, the Clone Wars, um, you know, the ones that happened in the early 2000s. And then it's in between that and, you know, Star Wars, Empire, and Return of the Jedi. And what I, I found so interesting while we're watching this is, remember... I don't know if you remember this in the original Star Wars where like um, Luke gets R2-D2 and C-3PO and it has the message from Princess Leia mm -hmm. and it says, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope and um, Uncle Owen is like, oh Ben, oh he's that crazy old guy that lives out in the rocks. Well, as soon as we're watching Obi-Wan Kenobi. There's Ben, the old crazy. Like, they took... Ewan McGregor has, like, disheveled hair, disheveled beard. He It's ten years after he thinks he killed his best friend, mm -hmm. his apprentice. Anakin Skywalker. So he's, he's dealing with this regret, this sadness. You know, he thinks all the Jedi are just, like in a bad place he he's like well, he thinks they're pretty much extinct yeah I mean. and he's just like he's done everything he can to just suppress the force and for me i know there has been a lot of hate and people are like oh they neutered obi-wan kenobi well he has done everything as a former jedi to keep himself hidden and if you if you are a fan of Star Wars, the Force it exists everywhere. So if you are one with the Force, you are one with anyone who is in the Force, whether it is the dark side or or the Jedi side. And he has suppressed all that because he doesn't want to be found. He is on Tatooine. He is supposed to look after Luke. 
He's just keeping to himself. He hasn't done anything Jedi related in 10 years. He has no Jedi stamina. He is just trying to be a normal guy. And the whole reason is he doesn't want to be found out. He doesn't want, you know, Darth Vader to find out. Well, he doesn't even know Darth Vader is around, but he doesn't want the Emperor to find out about yeah, the children. He's trying to be low key. He's he's keeping while overlooking Luke. He's keeping his that his mind like is not he doesn't want anybody to know he is there. He doesn't want to connect with the force. He's he's just depressed. He you know, every little thing that he does that could be for Luke, like sending him toys or something, Uncle Owen will come back to Obi-Wan or Ben and say leave us alone we're trying to be you know live as a normal family blah 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 so ben kenobi is just normal guy goes to work working in a factory not even connecting with the force he has done something to his mind that he can disconnect completely to the force but there is a problem because people around him and tattooing are suffering at the hands of the the empire like you know they are mistreated and you have what are uh called inquisitors that come in or they're part of this group that work for the empire and one is the grand inquisitor uh another is reva savener who plays the third sister played by moses ingram who's a, a big part of this because she wants to impress Lord Vader by finding and capturing Obi-Wan. Like, that's her, like, main goal. And so. she, she is kind of like a wild hare, if you think about it. She, But she knows if she finds Obi-Wan. They know Obi-Wan is, is out there, but they can't find him. And she knows that will bring her favor. Yeah, and even though the other Inquisitors believe that Obi-Wan is gone and he's not coming back or whatever, she's convinced that he's still out there and, and that she can find him and lure him out. And the chink in the armor here is basically is we have uh, Vivian Lyre Blair playing the young Leah uh, Organa who's Princess Leia and uh, the she, actress is, is very good. She's really cute. And she is, remember, she is an adopted daughter of an a senator, basically. Yeah, played by Jimmy Smith, who was in the movies. And they um, they asked for her because they were unable to have a child. So when they needed to place her, they, they placed her and thought it would be safe. It would be a place where no one would figure out where she is. One other interesting thing that I found was these Inquisitors... They were not only looking for Jedi, but they were looking for Force-sensitive children who didn't know anything about Jedi's. But if you watched the um, the prequels, you learned that if you have like a certain amount of metachlorian, you are Force-sensitive. And these Inquisitors would even go into towns if they felt a child was Force-sensitive and remove them as well. Yeah, and we find also, uh, and even though there's only three episodes right now, we have our first look at uh, Darth Vader appearing, who is being played by Hayden Christensen, who, of course, played uh, Anakin Skywalker in the early films. 
And of course, James Earl Jones is doing the voice again, which is great. I found this bit uh, interesting because Hayden hadn't really been in acting that much since the Star Wars stuff. So he went back and he watched the Skywalker Saga films as well as the animated series Star Wars, Clone Wars, and Rebels to prepare for the role. He enjoyed seeing how the animated series had further explored the relationship between Anakin and Kenobi. Uh, yeah, he, 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 so far, like, we've seen really, like, this is, like, when Vader's really, like, as angry. He is really just... So they say the dark side, you know you let your anger rule you when you're on the Jedi side you need clarity so he's pissed he's looking for Obi-Wan who's supposed to be like his brother who thought he's like Obi-Wan thought he killed him and he's really pissed off he's like you should let me die but it was just you do realize you can act without speaking. That's why, like, they have James Earl Jones in there. And Hayden came in. He was forceful, magnanimous. Like, he was in there taking charge. And this is kind of what you're seeing where, if you go back to the first Star Wars, how people are so afraid of Darth Vader. This is why like you see how strong he is because there aren't many people Jedi or Sith out there that are able to control the force the way that he is because he was trained by you know the best Jedis but then he was turned by the Emperor I am so nerdy like to be able to talk like this but you, you kind of get what I'm saying he is he's taken the best of both worlds and he has channeled that power and he's been using it not only this the last 10 years before the Obi-Wan series starts but he had his training as a child and training as a Jedi and then you know the death of Padme all of this has like he can take his anger and just like force choke somebody like it's nothing what you see with Obi-Wan though is because he suppressed the force and suppressed himself for so long he struggles with it yeah, he's L lost the control and the focus that it takes to use the force so when it happens it's very small so even in the third episode that we just watched you know there's this duel between vader and, and uh kenobi and it's like Kenobi really can't handle himself. He has to kind of use his wits more than anything else because he can't really defeat Vader in a combat. Uh, yeah, but they can't, like, force choke each other. It's it's like he has been... Um, he, has, he has tried so hard to disconnect because he wants to save the children. And he is just desperate to make sure that no one ever finds out about the children that he wants to make sure that because you know if you know anything about Star Wars the force everybody can talk to each other and that's what starts happening once he finds out from Reva that Anakin is still alive yeah he's like he starts having like panic attacks yeah and then he starts kind of listening to the force again and allows himself to be kind of found, 
but maybe he's not strong enough to suppress it from someone like Vader because he has so much power now. He has like sucked the force into him and he is able to just really distribute it across the galaxy and when we got to the third episode and he's like Obi-Wan and he like found him you could see the panic in uh, in Obi-Wan's face he's like shit yeah and the thing is like again Reva plays a major part in it because Leia who gets kidnapped early um off the planet that she's on because she's a rebel she you know she's a good kid but she likes to go out and just explore and they didn't necessarily call them rebels yet no no i'm just talking about her her attitude oh okay sorry 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 sorry. yeah so she's just she she doesn't yeah she doesn't want to really be the tidy princess when she's young like she's kind of like just you know wants to be a tomboy and play and everything else so she does everything she can to get out of doing the duties of a young princess but she ends up getting captured, who actually, the capturer at the time was played by Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And you called it, too. You're like, that looks like Flea. And I'm like... I, mean, I wouldn't miss those teeth anywhere. <laughs> you know? Uh, but he did a good job. Like, he did a really good job in the role, so it was cool to see that. Um, I mean, he's he's a Star Wars fan, too. And I remember... Um, well, we see a lot of that now, because I, I, I don't know what roles are going to be in, but... Um, even though Shay Jackson Jr. is going to be in this, that's Ice Cube's son, who we've seen in the Godzilla series. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool seeing him do different roles. Do you remember? I forgot which uh, Star Star Trek movie it was, but it was like Christian Slater showed up for like thirty five seconds. He was uh, Ratha Khan. Yeah, no, it wasn't Ratha Khan. It was further down. Not like, sure, it's Ratha No, Khan. it's not Ratha Khan. Um. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna place a bet. Uh, we will. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna Google this right now. But it it was a big deal because he was he was a fan and he's just wanted like a spot. just like thirty seconds. I think a lot of them were. I mean, we saw Kirstie Alley in the series, uh, the Khan, and then I think it was uh, the Undiscovered Country where Kim Cattrall ended up in it, and she played Kirstie Alley's role, mm-hmm. the Khan in that one. But yeah, you can find a lot of people who play small roles in that that series. It was the undiscovered country. Okay, so I was I was close. It was one of those two. Yeah, well, this is Star Trek Six. You're talking about Star Trek Two. But point anyway, is, back to Obi Wan. <laughs> I just I I do love how we have crossovers from um, other you know famous people who just love the fandom. Um, one kind of interesting thing that happened was um, Moses Ingram, and I give her so much. First of all, she's a fellow Baltimorean, as I am, and she um, she was in another. She was in a Netflix series called The Queen's Gambit, and she also was nominated for a Primetime Emmy Award. So she's got some acting chops. She's done a lot of theater. She was she went to the Yale School of Drama. So this is not like some schlub. Like she's got a lot of acting chops. We're not saying she's bad at anything. But apparently um she's been getting a lot of hate. And some I I I don't know if people are drawing it from they just don't like the character and 
if you don't like the character, that means she's doing a good job because she's kind of being a, an asshole. And that's what her that's what her whole role is to be an asshole going after Obi Wan, going off yeah, after the little girl. Yeah, she's not supposed to be likable. Um, you know, again, I think it's going to take time to kind of like. It, we're three episodes in, so, like, these characters, like, you never know how they're going to end up progressing as we go along. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Reva will turn around and, like, try to help Obi-Wan. Yeah. But I I just find the hate for her. Like, keep in mind, she's black. This is why. And, and it's so heinous, too. Like, they're being mean. Right. Like, saying mean, mean, racist things to this poor woman on Twitter. And she's like, I'm just trying to act and do my job, so... Yeah, people aren't really separating fact from fiction. Like, this isn't really her as a person. It's just a character she's playing. And, and they get really offended, too, for whatever reason. And granted, like, I don't, I don't know enough about the Reva character because I haven't read the books. But I don't know what people were expecting. I think she's very cold and very, like black and white and that, that's, that's uh, what you want for that character right. so that's why you want to hate her but, i mean if she's cold and so are the other part of the inquisitors that she's a part of but that like, that's what i mean like if you hate her that's she's doing a good job acting and then uh, it's just i cannot imagine like we see it a lot with with actors where people get so hung up in the character that they play where they're like fuck you i hope you die and but she has received and this is only three episodes in she's received some serious awful like unbelievable messages that ewan mcgregor himself came out and posted her, yeah. he posted a video and he said if you are racist you're not a real star wars fan and he's right look at you know the galactic empire of star wars look at what everybody is anything you can think of is represented droid droids worms you know wookies anything the the whole idea is you know the world is not by itself it's the universe and it's in a galaxy far, far away, as they say at the beginning of every single Star Wars. I, I also remember when the original Star Trek came out in the 60s, having um, the one guy, uh, Chekhov, be Russian was a big deal. Because they're like, oh my god, Cold War and everything. And they're like, uh, this is the year 2300 and there is no Cold War. Like, you have to imagine this is the story. So we have this beautiful, strong actress who's going out there kicking ass, and then they're just being super mean to her. And I, I can't, like, my heart hurts for her because as I'm looking through everything she's done, she's done everything from Shakespeare. She graduated with a Master's of Fine Arts in 2019. She um, had a role in The Queen's Gambit. She was nominated for a primetime Emmy. Like, this is not somebody who is just some fly-by-night nobody who doesn't know what they're doing. 
They're being very, very short-sighted. There's just a, a group of people in the fandom that they did the shit. Like, even though I didn't like the last three Star Wars movies, they did similar things to the Asian girl. Oh, I forgot her name. I'm sorry. Um, but they did. They did to her, too. And then even, like, I hated the 2016 Ghostbusters, but it was interesting how Leslie Jones, who was the black woman on that one took a lot of heat as opposed to the other four or uh, other three white actresses so it's like a lot of this racial shit is unnecessary and stupid like I just I don't get it it makes no sense to me like it's one thing if you're just going to criticize the movies whatever they're in as being like not well written or whatever which Ghostbusters to me was like a letdown for the actresses like it wasn't their fault it's the people that put. You that felt shit like they wrote a bad story for yeah, them. Yeah, they didn't get the people they wanted. The original cast. They didn't. They, get, they didn't get those guys. So they makeshift a different script, threw in four women, and then they basically hand them a shit sandwich. Said, "Here, make this work." They're like, "Make it funny." Right. So it didn't work, and then they took the brunt of the blame instead of the people that actually wrote that piece of shit to begin with. One thing I found that was very interesting in um, episode three of Obi Wan was. Um, he was talking to Leia about like how he was taken very young from his family because when the Jedi are looking for people who are force sensitive, you know, they start the training very, very young. They're younglings. So Lucas's original trilogy, um, when Return of the Jedi was released in 83, the original screenplay revealed Obi-Wan as the brother of Owen Lars, which would be Uncle Owen, Luke's uncle. However, um, it didn't make the final cut, so it was never like actually mentioned in Return of the Jedi. But all of these movies have novelizations, and then there have been like spin-off novels and stuff, and it includes a line referring to his brother Owen and there have been like trivia sets that say that Owen is Obi-Wan's brother however in Attack of the Clones they said that Owen was Anakin's stepbrother when Kleeg Lars married Shimi Skywalker which was Anakin's mom so I don't know if this doesn't mean that like Owen still can't be Obi-Wan's brother because they like he he kept saying I remember I had a brother this is in the Obi-Wan series sorry he, he was saying I remember a baby my brother so Obi-Wan is much older than you know Uncle Owen maybe like 10 years older and that uh, would be an interesting twist if they actually kind of pulled that together in this series. Maybe, yeah. All right. Uh, all right, all right. Got a couple blocks of music coming your oh, way. Oh, yeah? The first one, brand new stuff from Nuno Lorenko, our good friend with Salqui and uh, some of his other projects. He has another project out. This one's more of like a black kind of hardcore so, rock type thing. Sidebar about Nuno, he actually posted that he had like purchased a bunch of rights to a bunch of different music and he's been working on things. So I don't know if that means like we're expecting another project from Nuno or what, but he was he just posted this recently on Facebook. That's what this is. Oh, this is from this new pro I assume, yeah, because this is stuff that he just had written. So, uh, 
Sometimes he says... It's in his own language, so... Uh, Portuguese. Yeah, so it's Ratos Psyquicos, and that's the band name, which I translated everything because I'm not going to pronounce the, the song what he's in their language. When I translated it, the band is called Psychic Rats. I like that. And then the song is called All This Poverty is Inhuman. Oh, we also have tracks from Against PR, Quabar, PR, and Scarlet, as well as a couple of new stuff from Spheric Universe Experience, as well as Axe Heart. But as promised, here's Psychic Rats. Hey, Nuno. Nuno, we love you, bro. We love you.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite comic breeding lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaboration with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace.
It's not defined by middle chords to live With passion lives our best So come what's told Red skies all golden days ahead of us Regardless live it all It seems the end is near Nigh on this hour What's up everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Alright, that was Fellowship Hearts Upon the Hill. DJ Anubis. And DJ Neko. Here with you getting ready to jump into our rock block. <laughs> Today we have the return of Neko's Pick of the Week. I also got brand new stuff from Cave In Anvil. Green Seeker, Troll Teeth, and kicking it all off as Fatima with Arch Vile. And we'll be back.
ourselves in error and darkness. But before we injected the serum into that, it was but a mass of granted tissues, lifeless. Just lay there, weighted down with its transplants of broken limbs and amputated arms.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
right, brand new anvil. Someone to hate. Brand new anvil? Brand new anvil. Holy shit. Yeah. So, as we discussed, it's a return of Neko's pick of the week. That is right. Which she needs to start brainstorming because we are getting down to we're almost get, nothing. We're getting low. Getting, we're getting low. low. Getting low. Um, so, I picked this particular song. I picked other songs from this band. But this particular song hit me. I was literally out shopping and it was on the radio and I'm like, I totally forgot about this song. Oh my God. And it's so like yacht Roddy, yacht Rocky. Like it's so yacht like, Roddy. <laughs> Roddy. it's so like almost like soft rock and a little bit different from their usual stuff. So this was written by Christine McVie and sung by Christine McVie and I I kind of laughed because I didn't realize when she wrote it she wrote it about Lindsey Buckingham and she basically said he was a kind of a guy he could be as cold as ice and then he could be great so I took that feeling I was feeling and I turned it into a song this is like the uber chill song like you're sitting around the fire hanging out or you're driving your car or or you're out on your boat like this is a total adult contemporary song however we have to realize this is Fleetwood Mac the backbone of a lot of future bands to come and very very talented so when I heard it I mean this is before I left but I I couldn't believe I, I recognized the voice but I couldn't believe it was Fleetwood Mac and I said this would be an interesting song to talk about because first of all it's a little bit light for DJ Anubis but he does sometimes like to get a little light in the ass he likes you know well Fleetwood Mac is already kind of like classic rock for me so I like it, you know it's it's not even a matter of it's too light it's just it's from the band I can familiar with like there are songs that you've played in the past that really border on insanity in terms of like them actually belonging where they need to be but as we've said we always try to like challenge people to think outside the box but we also bit. look at the progression that was the big thing with the alan parsons project when we did that i mean it's been about a year since we did the eye in the sky but the alan parsons project was a very progressive rock band. Thank you, Dr. Ewell. Alan Parsons. <laughs> Scott Ewell. <laughs> Rip off. Rip off. So, so, I oh, feel... Oh, can you answer this question for me? Where does almond milk come from? <laughs> Inside almond titties. <laughs> almond titters. Almond nipples? I don't know. So, we always back to the songs and not almond milk I like to look at things maybe it's not the heaviest maybe it's not like hard rock or whatever but I, I do like to look kind of kind of behind the scenes beyond the veil etc and this song is kind of the baseline for like everything the Doobie Brothers has done think think about this listening to this song I love the I love yeah. love the Doobie Brothers. I love everything about what they've done from like A to Z. Same thing with Chicago. 
Doobie Brothers in Chicago, you think about what they did from the 60s to the 80s, it sounds like two different bands. But I feel like this little ditty that came out in 75 really solidified like what the, you know, adult contemporary quote unquote yacht rock sound would be. Even though it's Fleetwood Mac and they are amazing, this, I feel like, was something off their radar. Like it was not something on their norm and they did this and it turned into like everything that was kind of like soft rock, like Hall and Oates and everything kind of followed suit from this song. Now granted, I know that um, Chicago and Doobie Brothers, they were around before 75, but this kind of feels like the tipping point. So when you hear this song, which is Over My Head, Over My Head by Fleetwood Mac. Um, it's not a super popular Fleetwood Mac song. Um, we like to dig, dig, dig I was, deep. I was going down, I was going down deep. I wanted you all to hear this song because, you know, there are so many Fleetwood Mac songs that I listen to that are like everybody's favorite, like, you know, The Chain, like, yeah, you know, running in the shadows, right, yeah, so yeah. anyway, listen to this and think about how this song from a very progressive band kind of like influenced the future of a, like contemporary quote-unquote yacht rock that's what we're calling it nowadays but it used to be called adult contemporary so without further ado we have over my head by Fleetwood Mac attention please be prepared for a musical transformation that you've never felt before We will bring you on a journey like there's no tomorrow, and we will break new ground. Hailing from the land below the wind. Ten, nine, eight, seven. DJ Neko's pick of the week.
Hey everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer. Hey Beak and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. Talk a little bit about Stranger Things Season 4. You and I have been a big fan of the series since it started. And um, I I think the one standout for me of this season is it was actually kind of scary. Like, the writing, the imagery, even in the warnings that they put up on, on um, Netflix, it said... Fear, gore, gore, smoking. Like it was, it was really weird. Like it, it is, it is a little scary. It's more scary than you know seasons past. Like the monsters are, are scarier looking. It's a scarier like concept. But I'm gonna let you start since I hogged all the uh, attention because <laughs> <on. laughs> I had to, I had to nerd out on my Star Wars. Um, I want you to start, and then I'll kind of throw my two cents in. Yeah, so uh, the Duff Brothers, you know, they um, create this very 80s sci-fi fantasy horror like about six years ago. And uh, season four, like Neko says, you know, it's, it's got a lot of different things. Now there's, I think part of it what resonates a lot in this season as opposed to like last season of the second one was even though he hasn't been seen a lot of, Robert England's a part of this uh, season. And uh, he plays Victor Creel, but even though we don't see much of uh, Robert England so far, because we've already watched it, the, we binge watched the first seven episodes, it's going to actually have the second like half, July. One. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the main. Uh, creature that they're battling uh, is very much like Freddy Krueger in the sense that how it attacks its, vic- its victims and what it does and it, it's going through dreams and stuff like that and creating uh, alternate visions or universes within like if you know a character is being infected they all of a sudden start seeing things that is very much like you would see in Nightmare on Elm Street or any of the movies of that series. Now, the, obviously, the villain itself is not Freddy Krueger. There's no, like, you know, fingernails or blades or anything like that. So the, the villain is a demon called Vecna. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because there's, like, a whole, like, plot point in the series about... Because they're kind of nerdy boys. They're playing Dungeons & Dragons, and there is a Vecna demon in Dungeons and Dragons, but that that's kind of like lore. Like everything that's drawn out of Dungeons and Dragons is is, you know, lore based. But there's 
there's a whole kind of like sequence of them playing Dungeons and Dragons and then when they start realizing what's happening they're like holy shit this is Vecna and then they're kind of in disbelief however they're like well we've like fought you know the Demigorgon you know we 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 can't put anything out of the norm right now yeah uh and I just read that uh it says here um now this person here uh for the New York Times is reviewing the series for season four they're not that impressed with it and they're one of the things they said was the problem with season four is not or is not only the widely publicized length of its episodes though you may indeed find your mind wandering during the nine hour course of the first seven chapters the last two episodes included the reportedly two and a half hour finale are scheduled for july 1st so the last two episodes are more like mini movies themselves which makes sense because there's so many loose ends to tie up we right don't know and we talked about that because as it started getting down to the end of the the seven episodes we're like we can't just wrap everything up in one or two episodes so something's gonna have to happen here uh, and I, and, you know, I don't agree with them in terms of like it being a problem. Like, they do go on to say that the season four is too reminiscent of the past three seasons, where you know it's kind of like rinse and repeat. You get kind of the same kind of like. Uh, I don't feel that though, neither I. because there's like four different storylines going on at the same time. I did say that the storylines with Winona Ryder's character and uh, Harbor. Even though that's an important piece because that's part of what season three. That was is about. the cliffhanger of season three. Uh, there are it, those you can tell those that part of it's kind of like irritating in some ways because you're once you're invested with the kids and what they're doing, it's like oh we're gonna switch back over here real quick, give you like five minutes of what's going on with Harbor's character and Winona Ryder's character, and then we're gonna switch right back to the kids, and it's like. Do we really need to, I mean, you're better off just kind of like spending two episodes on that part of it and then going back to the kids. And I, I do agree with you because you have some of the kids who are in California because Elle, who is now Joyce, adopted by... Um, well, she's Jane, I think. Jane. Jane, sorry. Jane is adopted by Joyce. Right. And she's living with Will and... Um, Fuck, what's his name? Which one? The older brother of Will. Is it Mike? No, Mike is her boyfriend. Okay, Mike's boyfriend. Um, Will. Will's the brother. The younger brother. The older brother. And then you have... Yeah, I have to kind of look that up. Cause... So, they moved to California, and Will made friends with our... Excuse me. Will's older brother. I have it open here. I should, I should have said the right name. I'm sorry. Um... Got Will, Dustin, Lucas, Max, Jim. Uh, oh, is it a Steve? Is Steve the older one? No. Jonathan. Jonathan. Okay. So, Jonathan made friends with Argyle in California, and they've become stoners, which is fun. And Will, yeah, is Will is fun. just kind of like an island. He's he he doesn't have his best friend anymore, who is back home in Hawkins. And Will is literally, like, you don't know who... Will has, like, zero friends. And neither does Jane. But they were relocated to this smaller town in California to kind of keep Jane, a.k.a. L11C. 
and um, so you're kind of seeing a West Coast like valley girl issue happening that's one story <laughs> then you're seeing what's happening back in Hawkins where these people are dying really strangely yeah. Like they're levitating and all of their body parts are like cracking and their eyes are popping out. Yeah, and that's actually, and that's really creepy the way they do that. And it is scary. And then you switch back to California where Joyce gets a little doll. Russian doll. Russian doll. And inside the Russian doll is a note. And it says that Hopper is still alive. Yeah. So she follows that lead, and that's one story. She and Marty are going off on, on an adventure to Russia. Then you have the rest of the California crew. Yeah, because Hopper is in Russia. That's when he got transported mm -hmm. over there at the end. You think he died at the end of three. Sorry, there are a lot of spoilers. We should have, like... Make, well, sure, no, make sure you tag this with spoiler I alerts. Think, I think we kind of knew at the end of season three, like, there was that glimpse of the opening of whatever that is that uh, Eleven created. They were trying to, like, close that and, like, the energy. So I think everyone kind of felt like Hopper wasn't quite done. There was that whole rumor after the se the season was done that, oh, I don't think Hopper's dead. I think he's gone. Uh, according to the... the Brothers, they started writing season four before they even aired season three. Yeah. And then with COVID, etc., they they had some like shooting problems. But so first you have the West Coast people living their lives, and then you have Joyce and and Murray uh, going off to Russia, and then you have like crazy Secret Service people coming and being like, okay, we need to protect you guys but we're gonna take l so she can go get her powers back meanwhile in hawking hawkins they've got like crazy demon person totally like mutilating bodies and popping out their eyes and the one guy eddie who was the leader of the dungeons and dragons group he was kind of like the the leader of the nerds so you have like Dustin and um Lucas and I'm trying to think it will all they all belong to this hellfire club and it literally was just like we're playing Dungeons and Dragons but because all these murders started happening and they ha well these phantom murders started happening and one of them actually happened in Eddie's trailer they all started believing that Eddie was the person who killed them. And it was interesting because in the 80s, we've talked about this before, the satanic panic, uh -huh. where everybody was worried about Satan coming and taking over their kids and, oh, my God, you know. Ah! So that really took over in Hawkins. But what was kind of interesting was they had this, like, town hall during you know one of one of the episodes and the the police were like listen we're we're handling this blah 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 and then they released the name of of eddie and 
the parents of the other students are like, our kids are just normal kids. But they felt like... Uh, there was like this lynch mob mentality. Yes, thank you. I couldn't get it out. And... Like, they were just... And they are like, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. So it was It was actually... You get... A, the, seriously, there are several different storylines going at the, at the same time. I could watch all of this over again and pick out other small plot points because there's so much going on. Yeah, you got issues with bullying because when Eleven's in California we early on the first two or three episodes it's all about her being picked on uh, by a girl at school and her clique and then there's like a, a moment where she fights back and it's kind of violently against the girl not even using power it's just you know anger well yeah because she was um, Eleven was doing a project and the other girl who she actually kind of worshipped and she was lying and saying that this girl was her friend but this girl who is Miss Popular just made her feel like shit and then you know Mike comes out to California and she's saying oh yeah Stacy's my friend and blah 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 and it turns out Stacy's kind of a cunt like <laughs> A Not kind of. She's, she's a, a total cunt. And she's mean, and they, they humiliate, humiliated her again while Mike was there. And, um, you know, Eleven kind of hides in a little, like, janitor's closet or something while they're all looking for her because she just was humiliated. But then Eleven gets angry, and, like, her heart hurts, and they're at a roller rink, so she just smacks... Stacy in the face with a fucking roller skate, so. And interesting enough, uh, one of the actresses whose character kind of leaves the show early, Chrissy, uh, Grace Van Dien, is actually, actually Casper Van Dien's daughter. Uh, yeah, so season four, we, we, we have a new villain, but it is tied into the Mind Flayer from the first couple of seasons. And uh, we find out more about the Upside Down, how that works, as well as we find out how Eleven actually escaped from the uh, facility that she was at uh, in Season 1. And one of the main characters in that is an orderly named uh, Peter Ballard. And uh, that's played by Jamie Campbell Bauer, who, for those that don't know who he is, he's... Someone who's appeared in the Harry Potter movies as well as Twilight. Uh, with That's right, he was in Twilight, wasn't he? He was one of the vampires, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so he plays a big and integral part of season four, <clears throat> especially with how uh, Eleven is able to escape and everything, but there's more stuff that unravels about him uh, that we find out. Matthew Modine, uh, again, uh, comes back as, uh, what is his character's name again? Dr. Martin uh, Brenner, and uh, it, it's kind of there's enough uh, twists and turns in this season because you don't really know who's being legit and who's not. Um, Eleven still, uh, you know, trying to find her powers again. So Brenner is the guy that's going to try to bring him back for. Her. Uh, and of course, like, as Decca pointed out, the stuff with the, uh, the the Vecna guys like creating problems that no one really knows about but the kids are again are in the middle of it and they're fine. And the kids are starting to understand like you know <clears throat> the, the first like portal to the upside down that they ever recognized was what 
Eleven did in season one. So what we kind of saw in this, because this, this, this season is almost like a prequel and a sequel. You get a lot of flashbacks. Yeah. And you see where, spoiler alert, Eleven, you see where Eleven actually opens the first portal. And as they were just like very concerned because like they're like, okay, Eleven opened a portal, the Russians opened a portal, so how is this guy opening? And they realize that Vecna is opening portals based off of his, um, his kills and he's drawing energy off of them. They realize all of this and they're trying to get into the upside down again. It, I don't want to give too much away. We've, right. we've given a lot away already, but... Yeah, it's, it's early on, but, you know, unlike that article I, I read, um, I don't find any problems with it. Like, whenever you're dealing with any kind of series of... I mean, Supernatural went for 20-some-odd seasons, and that and was a lot of... Everybody, everybody died and came back to life. That's a lot of rinse and repeat. So, like, even if you're this person here who isn't into that kind of thing... There's still a lot of new stuff going on. The new the new villain in Vecna is a lot different than the Flayer. Is he the new cool. or is he the OG villain? Uh, he might be the OG, actually. He, he might be the, if you well, actually break it down. Because the Flayer may have just been an extension of that. Because so we, we know that the Upside Down world like creates creatures. We see other flying creatures. and So, without giving so much away, we talked about a haunted house and a family and that's again it's very haunted you know Amityville but this the father Victor Creel in this house thought it was literally the house and he made a comment that his son was sensitive so they were trying to like you know have better life for him they made a change blah 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 and this was back in the 50s. Now, this is in Hawkins, so nothing has happened yet with the Upside Down or opening portals until down the road. The first time we see like a portal happening was when they were in the Hawkins Institute and it was already open and Eleven was already there. But Go and watch this and see if you can figure out, like, if you think this character in season four is the one who started everything. And maybe he didn't kind of come out because he had other, you know, smaller deities who could handle things for him. And now when they see that, oh my god, these kids are just you know, handling and ravaging my monsters, this new entity that has kind of been hiding behind the shadows is back again. Because that's one thing that the, um, that they were kind of confused about, they being the kids in Hawkins. In the 50s, Victor Creel's family died very similarly to the people in the 80s mm -hmm. where their eyes popped out and their body was all contorted so they're like why did it take this long for this to happen again 
that's the interesting part and when you when you kind of like start to piece it together you're like okay when the when the end comes you know why like we find out why that mm -hmm. happens so. and it's a very interesting like it's 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 very it's a very mysterious and like kind of you you kind of start putting things together and i know before the end of the series i was talking to dj anubis and i'm like I'm trying to figure out, like, because I thought the voice of Vecna was somebody different than who it actually is, and I'm I'm looking at the cast, and I'm like, okay, the cast says Vecna is this person, but I don't know who the fuck this person is. I haven't seen them yet. And then it kind of all comes, like, you know, tenfold in the last episode. One thing I have to say, I know everybody is kind of, like, criticizing this this season and they're like it's the same thing we've always seen blah 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 I get it I, I've seen every scary movie it takes a lot to make me feel creepy or scared they did a really good job the atmosphere the music the clock going bong bong everything about it kind of gave me like the chills and I even said to him one night I'm like Shit, that was really scary. I, I might need to. I might need to sleep with the light on. Fuck. So, even if you think it is rinse, repeat, etc., it's done well. Yeah, I think even if the Duffer Brothers don't do another season, like if this is it, ah, uh, this is a nice bookend to the the first season. So, mm -hmm. one way or the other, it's an important season to view, uh, just to have closure on what started on how it became what it was so all right what's next next block we have some infecting cells pr inverse records but here's some brand new earth eater sacrificial slaughter yeah <laughs>
this is Jessica from Factory of Dreams. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. This is the Retro Movie Vault with your hosts DJ Anubis and DJ Neko only on Metal Tavern Radio. You haven't heard anybody say anything about either one of these. Well, what about these two? They suck. These are the same two movies? You weren't paying any attention. No, I wasn't. I don't think your manager would appreciate it. I appreciate your ruse, ma'am. I beg your pardon? Your ruse, your cunning attempt to trick me. Alright. We are back. DJ Neko. And DJ Nubis. And uh, we decided I think we're going to expand our movie vault selections because we were keeping it mainly to DVDs that are in our collection. Because this was an accidental movie vault we um popped this on what was it hulu no i think shutter i think we popped this movie on we we don't full disclosure we do not own this movie but i um neko became intrigued with I it was, right away i was totally engaged and i have so many things to say about this movie um this is the 1980 film the unseen Basically, the the like tiny tiny plot synopsis is: after a hotel reservation mix-up, two sisters Karen and Jennifer and their friend Vicky meet a friendly but shady character named Ernest, the owner of a small town museum. Ernest convinces the three women into accepting accepting an invitation for cheap room and board at his large farmhouse outside of town, where he lives with his wife Virginia. So this sounds like a perfect like horror movie setup, right? It is cheesy, but it's good. Like, it's got the good cheese. It, it, it's the real good cheese. It's not like the funky, bad American one-slice bullshit. This is the good cheese. I, um, we started watching it kind of by accident. I don't even know, how did you pick it? It was just like, oh, this is on, boom. Yeah, you know, I, sometimes I forget films that I've seen, um... Because when Neko goes away, I spent the last two or three years really watching just random shit that came out. That's why sometimes I end up ordering DVDs of like movies I discovered. Uh, so like Metalhead, which we reviewed last week, you know, uh, I hadn't seen that prior to getting it on Canopy. And that's, you know, once I saw it, I was like, this is really good. Neko's need to see this. We need to review it because I never did initially. So... Uh, but 
interestingly enough, uh, the most there's two recognizable faces in this film. Uh, first is Barbara Bach, who was in *The Spider Love Me* with Roger Moore, and um, she was a quote-unquote Bond girl. Yeah, and she is starring as Jennifer Fast in this movie. And Ernest is being played by Sidney Lassick, and he appears in a lot of stuff that I've seen. So we're talking like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Carrie, um, what was the other, Alligator from 1980 also. He's like the supreme character actor. Yeah, uh, he also appeared in, um, what was it, like just Don't Tell the Mom, Mom the Babysitter's Dead. That's right! Deep Cover is Gopher. <gasps> He's the one I think he gets killed, uh, beaten. And he... Hold on. Yep. No, no, no. It's Stephen First Jr. He was in um, Animal House. Mm -hmm. That's Jr. The Unseen. Yeah. Um, Karen Fast is Karen Lamb. Lilia Goldani is Virginia Keller, one of the other girls. Douglas Barr is Tony Ross, who is Jennifer's boyfriend. Lois Young is Vicki Thompson, who is the third girl on their little uh, extravaganza. So, um, what really kind of drew me to this was, I love, it's just, there's so much to this where I was watching it and I was thinking there was going to be a different outcome. And I told you this. And I think if in today's, like, horror world, if they took my twist to it and they took and expanded on it, but... What you were saying is, I mean, it was, what, a mi uh, an hour and 30 minutes at most? Yeah, the budgets of these type of films never give you everything you want out of it because they have limited time and funds to make what they want. So character death is definitely a problem in this film. Um, we jump from where uh, Jennifer Fast is leaving her husband or boyfriend who apparently became abusive at one point with her. And so she's taken off with her two girlfriends to go do it was some sort of like because she's like a newscaster, right, or something with that effect. It was in Solving California, which is um, they have like a big festival. Danish festival, and it, it's it's a legit festival, and they actually had the footage taken from that festival. Um, which was really interesting. Weirdly enough, the, the, the area they were in kind of reminded me of Amity. <laughs> well, where they ended up was at the outskirts because their hotel reservation at the main hotel got mixed up. Yeah. And then they started calling other hotels and there was no, you know, there's no vacancy. And this is 1980. This is not where there's an Airbnb. This is not where you can just be like, you know, let me figure something Get out. Get on my cell phone or... Exactly. Internet. So they started driving a little bit on the outskirts, and that's how they found Ernest's hotel. Now, initially, what they found was the old hotel that Ernest's parents had run for years. And they knocked on the door, and they said, Hey, uh, we're looking for vacancy, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, unfortunately... This is just a museum now. It was part of like the rail line. We we can't accommodate you, but you know, I have a really big farmhouse, so I can give you very cheap room and board for the three of you and it has your own private bathroom, no big deal. You know, come on by. 
So the girls are like, I guess we have no choice because um, Jennifer was the, um, she was the newscaster and her sister was just kind of hanging out, you know, for fun in Virginia. She worked for the, um, the company, but she wasn't feeling well. So they get to the farmhouse and Virginia's like, I'm going to stay behind because I want to take a bath. I have a headache. I want to, or excuse me, not Virginia. Um, yeah, Vicky, I'm saying Virginia I keep is, saying Vicky. Virginia is the sister of, uh, of Ernest. And the wife of Ernest. So we'll get to that. Yeah. Vicky is the third girl. So Vicky did not feel well. She said she wanted to take a bath and she had a headache. So she stayed behind. Karen and Jennifer went back to the festival and it wasn't that far away it seemed they just like kind of zipped back into town and Jennifer covered it and that's when her boyfriend Tony you shows know up. yeah he shows up and he's like you know what the fuck and it kind of alluded to some like domestic violence but then uh Karen was like, oh, you love him, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that was a thing. Like, that were a little weird for me. I mean, Karen was like, you know, he's really hunky. And it was just like this insinuation that Karen, if her sister hadn't been involved with Tony, that she would be. But this was kind of like um, other movies that we've seen where it's like you see this guy as like Mr. Perfect. Yeah. And as the sister or... Now, the thing you keep in mind, too, is Tony is an ex-football player who ruined his knee and has been trying to get back in shape to go back and play, but he is falling short of that because the knee's not cooperating. So he himself... So there's, like, I guess there's some frustration there because he wants to get back into football and Jennifer just wants him to kind of find something else so they can be together and be happy, but then I'm assuming a fight took place at some point because that's... At the beginning of the movie, that's pretty much where we leave, where she's leaving, and there's really not much being said between the two until he shows up at this festival, and then we hear, like, or at least understand there's, like, some sort of violence that took place, and while Jennifer's ready to go, Karen's like, look, you really need to kind of, like, talk to him and work this out, and all, this, all the things that's not supposed to happen with, like, domestic abuse cases, but... So, J Karen convinces Jennifer to stay. And Karen goes back to the farmhouse. Jennifer stays, and she's talking to Tony, and apparently there was a pregnancy that Tony found out just by, like, kind of digging through her purse. And we see that later in the film where um, Jennifer wants to terminate the pregnancy, and it's literally a prescription to go terminate the pregnancy, but she hasn't yet. And she's kind of like crumpled it up and thrown it away. Because after she had her little meeting with Tony, she kind of has a second, you know, a change of heart. But Jennifer and Tony are in the town. Vicky is already back at the farmhouse. And Karen is on her way back to the farmhouse. It is a beautiful, creepy old farmhouse someplace I would love to live and be haunted Yeah, in. you and I were more impressed with the house than anything else. Yeah, I was like, yeah, look at that. Look at that. Look at all those moldings. Look at that wood. Yeah. yeah. So, earlier in the uh, movie, you see Vicky. She's 
like taking a shower or excuse me taking a bath and she's trying to like relax but she walks over one of the grates to the heating system and she gets pulled into it and dies like it was really kind of abrupt yeah she's being attacked by something and so it's the unseen and then when she tries to escape the the grate to the air vent which is huge like apparently big enough to get a body into slams down yeah, and our, breaks her we neck. could not fit a body in our air vent no. like I mean you, you could barely I could, fit I could, a cat I could, yeah I couldn't even fit her in there what do you think Miss can you, Miss Kitty can you fit through that oh she heard her name and she murdered Miss Kitty yeah so so one know, chick is down out for the count but she's like her head's stuck in a grate so like Whoever the killer is isn't bothered taking the body and trying to hide it. Was it was just, just kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to pull somebody down into the grate. But then Karen comes home, and she's just like, hello, is anybody home? And nobody's answering. So she is in the kitchen, and she just wants to grab some, some fruit out of the fruit bowl, and she spills all the fruit on the floor. So she's Next to another grate. Next to another grate. So she's, like, scooping up all the, the fruit, and then... Karen, the sister, gets pulled through this grate, too. And you By know, a scarf she's wearing. She's yeah, oh, stuck, that's, not the same method, but it was a scarf. And she, that's the one thing that kind of cracked me up. I was like, this is Southern California, and she's wearing a scarf and a leather jacket. It, it was a, That was the most unbelievable part for me, but she got choked by her scarf being pulled through the grate. So, Virginia sees all this, who is the wife of Ernest. Virginia is Do we all... tell them that Ernest runs a museum? Do yes. We... Okay. Virginia, um... So... Go back to the museum part where Ernest is in the museum. Yeah, he's, he's dealing with some traumatic issues from their childhood, but... He goes back to the museum every day and there's like a secret door he yeah. hangs out in. And, uh, he's sitting there and... <laughs> He's recalling events with his, his dad uh, when he was younger. And apparently it was through this, like, reminiscing, he, we realized that Virginia is actually his sister who he's been having, like, sex with and an affair. And Virginia is apparently supposed to be slow. Um, they, that's all they said was slow. And in the reminiscence you just see kind of like black and white photos of the dad and the mom and stuff and okay, apparently the dad wasn't like despite the issues with Ernest and his sister like his dad was pretty weird too in terms of punishments and stuff because we start finding out he's like you know telling Ernest you know pull down your pants we're gonna take care of this I don't know what the fuck that I happened. think he was trying to castrate him yeah something and that's when Ernest actually takes a knife and stabs his dad, which then we see, like, this corpse that's been rotting in front of Ernest, and it has, like, a... I think a knife's in his face or in his mouth or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, what was it? There's a cat that's roaming around that I think belonged to the dad, but just stays around. It just around sat right on, his, on the lap. Right. So we learned from that that yeah, okay, Ernest killed his dad in order to protect his relationship with his sister, whom he now calls his wife at the house. But you can tell through Virginia's behavior and actions that she doesn't really like being in the situation she And she's is. kind of like, 
scared. Submissive, yeah. Very submissive. So you realize, because the one thing in Ernest's head while he's reminiscing is that the dad's calling um, the person who got Virginia in trouble was like a dirty scoundrel person and then the dad's like, uh, I think it's, you know when I think of somebody who's a dirty scoundrel, I think of you. And that's when he decides to stab his dad. I don't think anybody really knows that the dad's there because it's just like accepted. I don't think he told Virginia. I don't think he told anybody. And um, what we realize is Virginia is pregnant and it's by her own brother. And then they're just trying to live this quasi, you know, normal life with Virginia and Ernest. But you see that Virginia is submissive and scared of Ernest anytime he's around. Like he, he'll like jump at her or say something and it, it makes her cry or it makes her scared. It's very simple thing. So like if Virginia makes dinner for him, he's like, it's too salty. Just some random shit that it, and then she gets kind of fearful and whatnot. But anyway, the, the two girls uh, that came with Jennifer are dead. Um, both of them are in the same spots that they died in. So Virginia sees this, and she's kind of going through shock. Now, she kind of knew some shit was going to go down one way or the other before, because she, she recommended... She said, do not invite people here. Right. So Ernest comes home. He sees that Virginia is, like, distraught, and then sees, of course, the evidence of the two girls being killed, and decides upon himself that they have to kill Jennifer in order to keep everything covered up and their relationship secret and everything. Then we learned that at this point that Ernest and Virginia had a Harry had a kid uh, named Junior who's in the basement, and so that's who we find out's been like attacking the girls in the house. Yeah, Junior. I think, and this is my thought, he was attacking them, but like didn't understand because. Well, we don't know that. We don't so know. They were Jennifer, but yeah. But like. The the way that they explain Virginia is that she's slow. And that this is an, you know, inbred child, so they're making it seem like he's even more slow. Yeah, he's got a little bit of deformity, like almost mentally retarded, but he's huge. Like, he's a big, big kid. And apparently, though, Ernest at times goes down there and beats him. Like, it's just like if he's out of line or whatever this guy junior is very kid like so the way he behaves when jennifer is eventually put down there with him by Ernest, not by right. junior Ernest forces her down into the basement right because you know he wants junior to kill her or whatever but as neko started talking about junior is more interested in having friends and even though he doesn't really quite understand like how it works he's playing with her hair putting it on top of his head you know he's trying to give her a stuffed animal like he's trying to do everything kind of like a kid would he doesn't seem like if you've ever 
read or watched of Mice and Men, he seems like Lenny, where it's mm-hmm. like he accidentally killed the, the mouse, puppy. Our puppy, yeah. And he didn't mean to, but he killed it. And he's like this big. That's what Junior seems like, but like a little bit more to the less mentally capable degree. But he is down there and he's been down there let's say for 20 some years and Ernest has been abusing him and Virginia because she is kind of like complacent and slow herself she just thinks that's what you're supposed to do because she's being abused by her brother husband but at the same time. she still is pretty motherly with him. But she is. She's very motherly because she she was very upset when like um when Ernest was was actively attacking him. But what I found so interesting was how um she just like swooped in like at at the end when Jennifer's in the basement and she discovers the two bodies of her friends and Ernest is trying to scare her and trying to kill her and like clean up the loose ends and stuff and he's hoping that Junior would do it and Junior doesn't do it and he's like oh okay so Junior accidentally killed the other two just because he's a big big like strong lug he accidentally he's like oh friend I'm gonna pull you through the vents and when Junior was not interested in actually killing Jennifer and Ernest tried to kill Jennifer and then Junior's fighting with Jennifer, Virginia comes down and she's like trying to like console Junior and it was actually really sweet. When Ernest smacked Junior with that board in the nail and he's like, uh, yeah. Like he all he I think he actually did die, but they didn't like say that he died. For that's what made Virginia snap. Like she was like, "This is my baby." Yeah, there was a moment where Virginia had changed her heart in terms of having Ernest try to kill Jennifer. So she tries to stop Ernest, and then Ernest starts beating on her, and Junior sees this, and he gets really enraged attacks Ernest and they kind of go back and forth for a while but Ernest doesn't have the cunning of like to know like how to like put someone out of their misery like again like the girls that he killed were accidents anyway so that's when uh, Ernest is able to take the bull with the nail in it and hit him inside the head and it sticks uh, and then uh, during that is when Jennifer sneaks out of the house and she's outside it's dark uh, is it raining? I can't remember if it's raining or not. But, I can't remember either. But uh, she gets out, and so she hides in the chicken house uh, that they have out back, and Ernest does manage to find her. Uh, again, she gets out, and Ernest is about ready to kill her with an axe that he uses to, to kill the chickens when they need to, to eat or whatever. And at that moment, uh, Virginia shoots him with a shotgun, shoots her in his, in his chest with a shotgun, and just kind of calmly turned around walks back in the house. Also, by this time, uh, Tony shows up. Um, yeah, he tried, he, he zoomed He was trying out. to run to her, because he could hear her, but his knee gives out, and he can't quite get there, so there's like this tension moment where you think that Jennifer's going to bite it before Virginia shows up with a shotgun. It was, it, it, so that was kind of like the culmination at the end. 
So Jennifer is scared, running for her life. Tony zooms up in his sports car, runs, blows out his knee again, and falls down. Ernest is coming, and then Virginia, pow pow. It was like this beautiful montage. I felt like at that end, and, and that's kind of how it ended, like, yeah, pow pow, think- and then, uh, Virginia went down to like cradle her her son. Yeah. And, the credits and then start it like wrong. the credits started. So what I meant by you could take this and make it better. Like the six million dollar man. I I feel like there is so much there in the backstory that could I mean, I'm feeling like shining vibes. Remember all those pictures that they were flashing through while um, Ernest was like in his head talking to his dad? And same thing with like, you know, psycho vibes. This was, I don't want to say it was like a rushed horror movie, but if somebody today took this horror movie and then thought out like very precisely, like the beginning middle end and like precursor to how junior you could take this so much further i i don't even know what made me get so engaged in this movie it it might have been the whole like two minute montage where you saw um ernest's dad as the skeleton in his like clothes like it was skeleton and clothes Mm -hmm. and cobwebs and around it was pictures and the thing that kind of blew my mind was there was a door that said private and it had a lock on it and everything and I'm sitting there thinking like if you took this story you know the the prequel and set it up you know in like 20 35 minutes started the movie and then you would get more than just like, oh, we're driving around looking for a hotel. I feel like if you would have started it with like the father angry at his son, and this is back 25 years ago, that would be how you should start the movie. And then the son getting angry and killing him. And then it kind of like black, fades to present day day, we're going to this festival and that would give you a little bit more like meat to this story yeah Yeah, i mean you know apparently on rotten tomatoes critics never reviewed this film but the audience only gave it like 34 percent but i think it's because of that lack of structure and the rushing and everything else don't you think like if if some like amazing director redid this it could be phenomenal like yeah explain to the audience how often i fall asleep like pretty soon yeah (laughs) i fall asleep all the time so for me to be completely engaged while i'm sitting in my the only time i keep her engaged is like stuff like this is if it's like this or if it's like on joe bob like if joe bob is doing stuff she'll you know, because she likes the trivia that he has and the little skits and stuff. So I mean, I I like I like Freddy anything Freddy Krueger. I'm like in. I'm zoned in. But 
it's hard even for like my girly stuff it's hard to keep me engaged like I was I was in the living room in my recliner watching it DJ Anubis said it's getting late let's go to bed I went to bed I said pause this we'll continue upstairs I watched the entire thing in bed he said he fell asleep and started dozing off and then he looked over at me and I'm still fully I did not fall asleep I feel like there's so much that this movie could offer. I, I, I think that if you dove into the backstory of the father and the mother, if you made it a little creepier, because it, and side note, we are not ever told that Vicky and Jennifer, what's the other one? The main one? Jennifer. Not Jennifer. Um, oh, Karen. Uh, Karen. We are never told that Vicky and Karen are murdered by Junior. You just assume it. But in my mind, I don't think Junior would murder anyone. Well, I, I think the first... I think, you think Ernest, Ernest did, yeah. did it, but blamed it on his son. But like as you're watching the movie, you're supposed to assume that Junior did it. I think if you took this movie, gave it a little bit more depth, gave it a little more meat in the um, story, you could have a, a little tiny prequel, the story, and then you could push it through the way that they did, but then the twist would be Ernest was the one killing them, and they were just killing them to hide the secret in the basement. Right. And I think that would be a better story. So in my brain, I guess, because I, I, I've fallen, like, when was the last time I watched a cheesy movie and I fell in love with it? Uh, what, Evil Dead 2? I think about yeah, it. I probably had some other ones. We just haven't really remembered, but... This is, it's been a long time. But I was kind of shocked that you were, like, that engaged with it, which is good, because, like, I, it was getting late for me, and I was in bed, and I was falling asleep. I couldn't fall asleep. I couldn't she, stop watching. She was still watching it. And I'm like, that almost never happens. Like, that's, that's pretty good that it keeps her interest. So, but, yeah, there's a lot you could do with this. So, even if you took Eli Roth or, you know, Damn I think someone did a really good job with that. be either uh, Eggers, who did The Witch, or... Uh, Harry Astor, who did like Hereditary or Midsummer, would do a very good job with this type of yes, thing. Yes, the Midsummer guy would yeah. do the witch. No, Midsummer guy, yes, because I feel Midsummer guy would just be like the bitch would get. She wouldn't just get pulled down. It would be like <clears throat> it would be more like she gets pulled down, her head pops off. It would be amazing. <laughs> I am not pro murder, clearly, but I. She likes her horror movies. I do though. like my horror and my gore, and I, I just... Uh, this movie was so good. That's why it became my pick of the week, because it was an accident. An accident? An accident! A happy accident. Uh, that was from Rocky Horror. An accident, an accident, an accident. Anyway. Um, Alright. So that's why it became my pick of the week. It was... Uh, we watched it, it was unintentional, and... DJ Anubis is like, what do you want for your uh, retro DVD vault? And I'm like, how can we top the fucking Unseen? I mean... Yeah, she's like, yeah, you know, I could pick something, but I really like this movie. <laughs> I want to talk about it. 
And I don't even know, like, how do I petition someone? Be like, please read. I'm, I'm this is just, me typing. I'm sure they got Twitters. You could hit up Ari and say, look, I like, I saw this movie. I want you to redo it. Get it done. It's there's so much more to that movie than what they showed us, and that's why I'm like, in my small brain, I I just picture. You know, back in the day, because remember um, when Ernest was giving the tour of the house and they had that grand hall and then Virginia was sitting there in the one lone chair in front of the um, fireplace and he's like, this used to be a great place to have parties and Virginia's like sitting there all like huddled in front of it. I would like to see, again, like a 30 minute montage and story build up of the grandeur of what this town what the house what the hotel used to be it also gives me kind of this is this was done back in the 80s before a lot of towns were like destroyed from changing industries and what their excuse was for this town was the railroad was not running anymore so i i love seeing stuff like this so me I guess I give it like a three and a half out of five, maybe a four out of five. What do you think? So basically, my scale is always ten. So you'd give it like an eight or nine out of ten. Not a nine, eight out of ten. Me. Maybe uh, maybe a seven and a half. It could be improved on, and maybe because I'm like thinking about it being improved on, I'm like adding that into my my. Yeah, scale. I'm probably more because for me, it just depends on rewatchability. I mean, it's fine to revisit, but I think. I'd give it like a six or seven, like tops, really for me. But it was it was fun to check it out again. I enjoyed it. I did, and I think that if you want something, it is a little cheesy, a little campy, but it's quick and it's a short film. And if you have an imagination and you can like the one scene where Ernest is in that small room for like two and a half minutes. If you can have an imagination there, you're you're going to enjoy this this film even more because me, I'm like, oh, so this this happened 25 years ago and it's the 80s, so this is 65, and then his parents they have this grand hotel. That's kind of what I want to see. So I think, I guess you're right. Maybe it is a seven out of ten because I'm giving it my like pretend. <laughs> My her, her vision of what she wants it to be. Please, I need an I need a director to make it better. All right, this next block of music, we have some brand new stuff from Septic Flesh. Woo! But kicking it off, new stuff for Corosa provided by Grand Sounds Promotion.
Shepard, and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio.
right. Getting ready to close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos. Hope mm -hmm. you all enjoyed this episode. We enjoyed bringing it to you as all we always do. Sorry. Yeah, she's feeding her face. Because mm -hmm. we're getting hungry again. Yeah, I'm about to cook, cook, cook. Uh, appreciate all the support. Uh, as you don't know, for those that have like small little pets like lizards, frogs, tarantulas, scorpions, whatever... I am now selling my isopine springtail mixed cultures for a uh, bioactive environment. So if you need cleanup crews, uh, they may look like they're expensive, but if you actually go and look online uh, as far as like the tag team of the springtails and isopods, I'm actually lower than what you would actually find online. So What, what he's doing is combining two things and actually giving you extra stuff like a piece of charcoal a piece of, of cork and um a piece of bark moss, moss, moss stuff, excuse yeah me. so basically when you get these containers uh you're gonna have some soil in it already but you're gonna have smagna moss which will have, hold the uh, moisture for transport uh you'll have a piece of bark and a piece of charcoal that springtails and ice pods like to use for breeding so you can actually mix that in with your soil uh, when you go to create your environment for your creature. Uh, and instead of just being one or the other, these two work in tandem together. So even though isopods sometimes will work by themselves or springtails, uh, if you go and research online, these two work best together because some of the things the isopod doesn't eat, the springtails will and vice versa. Uh, if so, like leftover crickets or food for your critters that aren't eating, these guys will eat that up. They'll eat or poop. poop. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, f if you have bioactive environments, these guys are very good for that. And so, even if you have vivariums, you know, with just just flowers plants, yep. and stuff, yeah, these guys are great. good for that. Yep. They are very. They are good with working with plants and stuff too. So, but thank you all for tuning in. Got one last track for you by, provided by Hard Life Promotions. Okay. Columbiarium, Rivers of Blood. And we will see you next time. Peace. Ciao, ciao.